This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo tabbouleh, real potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini ziti, granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Mm. Hello, I'm Dan Adute. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan. Like many of you, I'm stuck at home during this pandemic, and so are most of my guests. Um, Am I recording here? That leaves me with a crappy laptop from 2012, my own mic, and my fingers crossed, hoping my guests are able to record their half of the conversation, too. On my side, that felt like that was correct. Bear with us. Um, okay, well, here we go. Look at all this beautiful food. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today is a comedian, writer, and host of the political comedy podcast, Fake the Nation. She's also a regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and the author of the book, How to Make White People Laugh. Please welcome my friend, Nagina Farsad. Oh, hello. <laughs> you you have to like say Nagin Farsad because otherwise people are going to be like, what did he just say? <laughs> Nagin Farsad. Um, Nagin is a fellow Persian, so I can say her name like that. I mean, and it sounds so lovely. It is very lovely. It, what does Nagin mean, by the way? It means like gem or like rare jewel, like jewel. It kind of means jewel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Persian names are very like. They really, our parents really think the world of us. My Persian name is Kamyar, which means luck is always with you. <laughs> I know they're so sincere. Persian names are like deeply sincere. Yeah. Not a hint of sarcasm, like really, really deep in the heart. Yeah, we don't have any Jeffs. No Jeffs. <laughs> yeah, there's no like Brett or whatever. Yeah. No. Before we get into your Persian heritage, because I don't know that there's any Persian heritage in this fridge. Oh, Let's God. get into the fridge. Yeah. I'm looking at your fridge. You guys can oh see the God. fridge. Oh, my God. I have to look at the photo one more time because I'm like, what did you see? I'm actually going to share my screen with you. Okay. So we can be looking okay. at the same exact Okay, we're looking at the fridge. Stuff. This is embarrassing. Okay. okay. Now, everyone can see the fridge on my Instagram at standupdan. Nagin, oh, what, yes. I'm, what I'm noticing with a lot of... A lot of my fellow brown comedians uh-huh. uh, and celebrities yeah. who have made it uh-huh. is that there's usually no trace of any immigrant stuff <laughs> in the fridge. Like Maz Jobrani's fridge, you have no idea he's Persian. And I have to say this, this is a bougie-ass fridge. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's got a lot of bouge going on. Though. 
Well, I um, want to I want to do a special shout out to the maple syrup that we bought from a farmers market. Um at exactly like several times the cost of a regular syrup, maple syrup. <laughs> and and it's so delicious. It's like a deep, dark maple syrup. And I, because I'm trying to be one of those people that doesn't use sugar, but, you know, like I lose my mind sometimes, so I sweeten with maple syrup, which is uh, the bougiest thing that you could admit to is that you're like, I'm trying to get away from cane sugar, so I'm using a lot of replacement maple <laughs> I got to um, say, maple syrup is one of my favorite things, though. It is. And it's there's delicious. Like, if you go on a deep dive on maple syrup, like they have, I think there's like five grades of it, Ooh. like from A to D. And it's like, it's all about the darkness and the viscosity. Ooh. So yes. is it like if it's more viscous, which essentially you're t- we're talking thick, right? Yes. Um, yes. It's, uh, it's a higher quality or a lower quality? I wish I knew. Okay, the got you. I should know the answer. Got you. I want to say it's a higher quality if it's thicker because in penises as well as in maple syrup, you want a thicker consistency. <laughs> a thicker viscosity <laughs> penis is usually a higher quality <laughs> penis. Um, I don't know. I could see them being like, oh man, that's how they cheapen it. They put thickeners in it. You want that really thin maple syrup. Right, right. No, exactly. They like (laughs) added some fucking flour or something to like make it appear thick. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's funny. I can relate with you because my fridge actually looks a lot like yours. Like I have a lot of bougie stuff in my fridge and I always feel like if my parents had any idea how much money I spent on some of this stuff, like they would just lose their Mind. My mom, I when she visits me and sees sometimes like that I brought home something, you know, she'll be like, "How much was that?" And and here's the thing with my parents, and I, I mean, it might be true for your parents too, is that like they've made it, you know? What I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, they yeah, made it. Doing- <laughs> like, <laughs> but they, they will always to- live like 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 they're homeless. Like, that's no, exa- at least with my parents, one hundred percent. We're in the <laughs> middle. We're about to be in a depression. At any point, even though they're they were born after Depression era, they were born after wars. Like they don't, I don't know why they have that in their bodies. It's like an immigrant thing of living with, you know, finding the better deal, like living cheaply. Um, and so, yeah. and I might, and I'm just like, you guys have reached an age where you don't need to worry about how much this maple syrup costs. Like, stop <laughs> asking questions, you know. But they, um, but they very much, it's like a, it's like an assault on their um, set, their way of life to to buy things that are so needlessly expensive. And and for me, I totally feel that. Like, I know when I'm buying something that feels. Like ridiculous, like a ridiculous expense, and and they're yeah. small things too, right? So it's a ridiculous expense of, you know, I went to the farmers market and I bought um, this natural harvest kimchi, which you'll also see in the um, in the door of the refrigerator at the oh top my God, left. You got bougie there. kimchi also. A bougie kimchi made by like you know made by a farmer um and <laughs> is it a uh, korean farmer or it's a korean a... farmer yeah 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 okay, like, it was like a korean woman who like got all of her cabbage from some you know whatever and there it is and there it um is. 
And, you know, and I thought to myself, well, this is A, helping a farmer, B, it's like special, C, it's like I, I'm meeting the maker. You know, there's there's reasons that you say to yourself, okay, this thing might cost, I actually don't know how much kimchi normally costs, but anyways, I was like, this thing might cost, you know, $5 if I bought it from the store, now I'm buying it for 10 that's okay, it's like for a good, there's a goodness yes. around it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. I pay the premium for the goodness as well. I think- you know, you know, you're supporting nice people who believe in their food and farming is a grind. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. let them have a couple more bucks. Yes. I do think, though, you went a little too bougie on something, which that? I think the non-bougie is always better than the bougie, which is all which for me is ketchup. Oh, I'm not a, a fan of bougie ketchup. What's wrong with bougie ketchup? I don't know. It just has this tinny kind of tomato-y weirdness where, I don't know, I like the processed Heinz better. Right, 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 right. Yeah. The, <laughs> that your, corn your syrup, elitism, man. It's sort of like, yeah, your elitism doesn't extend to actual tomato flavor in ketchup. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I can get down with it, but I just feel like I've, I've, never, I've never met an organic ketchup that I've wanted over just a, like a corn syrupy. A standard uh, issue. Standard yeah. issue. <laughs> yeah, government yeah. issue ketchup. I mean, and I'm not like that with everything. Like with, with peanut butter, I like the bougie mm. organic peanut butter mm. better than Jiffy. Mm. That's interesting because I, I have more. I mean, to me, a Jiffy is more like a party, you know? And the organic, you know, like the Brad's organic, no sugar added or whatever, is a little bit more like work. <laughs> it's a little it more like is. a job. Um, and yeah. so I have a little less fun. Where, you well, know, mixing I, the oil in with the peanut butter is always the worst. It's like the worst part of anyone's you're day. You're churning your own peanut butter at a certain point, and it's not, it doesn't have the same, you know, it's just not the same fun. No. Um, but I, but I want to say that I really love a curry ketchup. Have you Ooh, had a curry yeah. ketchup, like with a bratwurst or something? I feel like the only place I've had a curry ketchup is... Um, I feel like like a McDonald's in Europe or something. Yes, yes, you know yes, 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 100%. Yes. They have like the different flavors. Love that. I love, yeah. I want to be, I want America to adopt more of that in our, yeah. um, in like our fast food, you know, uh, lifestyles of just like, um, instead of the regular ketchup, I'll have a curry ketchup and, yeah. uh, and a kimchi ketchup. Thank you. You and know, it's just like mayo. a fun, yeah, and a wasabi mayo. Just like a, make, make that stuff more flavorful and interesting. Like you know, it could be funny. garbage. It could still be garbage, but just garbage with some spice. Yes, I, I'm with you. I, I add a little, a little cowbell. I do think, though, it's funny. I, I do think within barbecue sauces, I love bougie barbecue sauce better than basic barbecue sauce. And you have probably the most basic barbecue so sauce in your in the door I of the know. fridge here. I know. Craft spicy honey barbecue yeah. sauce and dip. Yeah. <laughs> I, what? Just in my own defense, we just finished a whole thing of like a fancy barbecue sauce. <laughs> okay, so this is the plan B. This is this but, is week five of quarantine but barbecue sauce. I want to say for people who don't know the craft spicy honey barbecue sauce, it's really delicious. You know, it is. It's just delicious. Um, 
One of the things I grew up, because I grew up in Palm Springs, California, not too far from where you currently live, and um, we grew up with Carl's Jr. We, sh- we actually don't have Carl's Jr. on this side of the country. I think we have Hardee's, but not in New York City. So anyways, this is some. This is an itch I scratch only like once a year or whatever when I'm visiting home. Um, you go to Carl's Jr. and you get the double Western bacon cheeseburger, or you get the Western bacon cheeseburger and you get extra barbecue sauce. Uh, that it was like a thing I grew up eating. Like hmm. it was a treat. Like once every couple weeks, my mom would be like, "We're going to Carl's Jr. We're getting the disgusting thing you love," you know. And um, and so this this spicy honey barbecue sauce sort of like harkens me back to those days. Oh, got it. Yeah. Full disclosure: I've never been to Carl's Jr. Shut your yeah. face. <laughs> That's a real shame. I think you need to carpe the diem and like get into that. A Western bacon cheeseburger um, with like a nice bacon that a Muslim shouldn't eat. Not that you're a Muz, but like, well, this, but this also Jew a Jew shouldn't, shouldn't eat a nice bacon. Do you eat the bacons? I do. I, I okay. So I, we're both terrible. I enjoy it. Yeah, 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 we're both awful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so delicious. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So yeah, do you have any? Is do I have what, any Persian? What is, your, what is your relationship with Persian food? Did you grow up eating Persian food? I did. I mean, almost exclusively. Um, wow. I grew up eating Persian food. Sometimes I'll make a nice fesenjan, which is like a, um, it's like a almond. Sorry, it's a walnut. And pomegranate molasses slow braised chicken dish. Yeah, um, it's a it's an awesome stew. It looks it it it, it looks awful. It looks like turds. Um, yeah, it looks it looks. Let I me, mean, for lack of a better word, it looks diarrhea. No, it does. But when you re- and I actually now look at diarrhea and say, "You look like Fessenjohn." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a chicken and the egg thing. We don't know. <laughs> Um, but I think, uh, it's, um, it's really delicious and it's one of those dishes that you can like experiment with making a little sweeter, make it a little more sour, make it, you know, um, and it's one of those, you know, we use uh, Iranians, just all Iranians have a bunch of pomegranate molasses laying around in their homes. And that's some, a feature I have, I always have a pomegranate molasses at home. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I use it as like a you can make a syrup out of it and use that on pancakes. You know what I mean? So I think, oh, cool. so that's like, there's, you know, there's some Persian things that I do. I always have like a healthy supply of saffron and it's, you know, wow. and sometimes I'll the just. Bu- the bouginess just continues. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah, saffron is a, and I don't think like regular people know, the civilians, do you know that saffron is like a jewel in your home. You treat it with respect. You put it in the safe. You like safeguard it. <laughs> yeah, like like literally Persian women will like leave a party and they'll be like, did you see how much saffron she used in the rice? Oh my God. Like <laughs> they must be doing really well. If you see a rice and you know, if you see a rice, the more, the orange to white rice ratio in yeah. a rice is a sign of basically how wealthy you are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
it's, it's like, like yeah, yeah. Before or, or the, it's like aspirational you know it's showing I, how wealthy you wish you were i have a feeling before the uh islamic revolution took place the shah's wife must have been like let them eat saffron and that <laughs> <laughs> that was what just kicked it all off they're like we're here eating turmeric we can't afford the saffron <laughs> Oh my god! I also have a shit ton of t- shit ton of turmeric at home because isn't my- it funny that turmeric is like the hip thing to like for like white people to have? And we've been like we were like we're breastfed on turmeric. I mean, one hundred percent. I like I have so much turmeric because my mom will just be like, "Oh, I, w- I worried you didn't have enough turmeric," so she'll just like always bring me some, and and I have you know, and I use it on occasion, but like it's it's just not as common in regular life as it is in Persian cooking, you know. Right. Um, but it's yeah, true. you turmeric is something that you have, and we and I think and it's interesting if it's supposed to be an inflammation reducer. Um, I want to go ahead and say about Iranians is that um, you know they're like not, they're not terribly fat. Uh, right. <laughs> you know they're kind of healthy, <laughs> and it could be because of this excessive turmeric consumption. I don't know. I wonder. I would love a study on like, I don't know, arthritis in the Persian community versus the non-Persian community. Because we literally, it's 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 the backdrop of almost everything that we eat has turmeric in it. Yeah, and it's funny because my mom will always just um, saute a bunch of onions in turmeric. And it's it, to the point where I sort of thought, onions had that color when you sauteed them like I didn't realize until I was like a teenager that she was adding something to it and she just always like kept some in the refrigerator and then would add it to things um and so just the base of you know onions which is in everything like having turmeric in it just to start out with and then you might Mm -hmm. add or whatever um yeah I think it's 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 really interesting the extent to which it's used and it doesn't have a extremely strong flavor so it's kind of like it is being used for some other reason historically which i have no idea i'm talking out of my ass here but like that's what i think yeah well look i i think that it's his it's it is very much like the base for every stock and stew and a, a lot of the rices that yeah. we make so a good cheat if you don't want to make like a, ch- a like a chicken stock or you know go through the carrot celery onion combo you literally, like, for everything that we make, it's literally just onions and, like, a kind of heaping teaspoon of turmeric. Mm. And you've got, like, a fantastic vegetarian stock right there. Yep. That's it's super exactly easy. It's so easy. So easy. And nutritious. Yeah, but it's hard. It, it's a hard cuisine to, like, Persian food is very labor-intensive, I find. And it's yeah. very hard to just have it as an everyday food unless you are completely unemployed and you can just spend (laughs) all day slaving over a super dramatic rice and then a super dramatic stew oh totally and it's funny because my mom has gotten to the point where she's so speedy with it it looks easy when she does it and i can never replicate that because i haven't been doing it for decades yeah. Um, but no, yeah, she's got her, she's got her 10,000 hours. Yeah, oh, exactly. She is Malcolm Gladwell, the Persian cuisine. Um, I do. I just remembered looking at my, my refrigerator. There is one very Persian thing in there, which you can't see the label. Um, it's a cashk and it's like oh. a, above those like wine bottles. You see that little silver thing on the bottom, like uh. on the, I'm, I'm like pointing, like you could see my finger that the silver thing is cashk. 
Wow. And it's so, it's used in um it's used in Osh, Osh Reshte, which is like this I mean, it award-winning um soup? Are we calling I, it soup? The best way to describe Osh is I think it's like Persian ramen. Yeah. It's kind of like So okay, let's start with kashk because kashk is a very interesting ingredient. It's basically a uh, whey, yeah, which is sort of a uh, Bodybuilding protein. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Persians be ripped. <laughs> Persians be ripped. Um, it's it's one of these like kind of like side products of making cheese or like I don't know. We do yeah. a lot of like weird milk stuff, but it's it's basically it doesn't believe it or not. It doesn't even have to be refrigerated. Like it's kind of it's got it's like shelf stable, but it's put on the top of this soup. I mean, it's put on the top of a lot of stuff, but specifically Persian soups are like nothing you've ever had before. Like they're, first of all, they're always um, super herbal. Yes. So many herbs. I mean, it's crazy the amount of herbs. Well, that's the thing. Persians never really use meat as a stock. So we don't use chicken stock or beef stock. Everything is just fucking more herbs than you could imagine. Yep. And more again, another thing. More healthy. Which is why they're healthy, but also why it takes so much time to make Persian food because you can't just like take the herbs and put them into the food processor and then throw them in. Your your mom will be like, no, you have to cut it with your knife because then it doesn't become shol. It doesn't become like a big mass of gloopy herbs. Like it has to be cut by – like it's literally impossible so, to have it, a profession and make <laughs> – Agree. Agree. And it's also – it's not like one herb, right? It's like – no. 15 different herbs in one yeah. thing. So you not only have to have, you know, no job and just cook Persian food for a living, but you also have to like constantly be going to markets to find these specific herbs in their best condition. I mean, it's like so laborious. And you can't just go to whole, like you need to find fenugreek. Right. You need to find <laughs> right, right, fresh right. fenugreek, which they don't have at Ralph's. You got you to gotta <laughs> right. seek out the fenugreek. Right. No, it's, um, it's, it, it is it's one, a nightmare. It, it's a, it is, I think, one of the most underrated cuisines, though. I think a lot of people have a kind of a feeble understanding of Persian food in America. Yeah. It's kind of been reduced to kebabs, like, which is what most people are familiar with. Right, which is also, which is a little bit like Middle Eastern washing all of the Middle Eastern cuisines. Because you yeah. think about Turkish food, people think kebabs. You think about like, I don't know, Lebanese food, people think about kebabs. Like that is, that does become like the one thing that they sort of just attribute to any Middle Eastern country. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, our kebabs are fantastic. 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 Filet mignon kebab, get out of here. Get out of here. And then actually what we do different with our kebabs, so here's the thing. Here's why hamburgers were always kind of difficult, uh, I think, for us to get into when we were younger is because when you make Persian beef kebab, that is the ground meat kebab, the way they do it is that they mix in uh, onions, they chop up onions very finely, mix it in with the beef, and then they slow cook it over a fire. And so the onions kind of melt within the beef and they caramelize within the beef. And it creates a flavor like nothing you've ever had before. Oh, my God. I didn't – I sort of didn't realize that was what was happening. That's the secret. That's why it tastes different than like just a hamburger meat where, yeah. you know, it's just the meat. It's like basically almost 50-50 onions to beef. I know. It's a lot. And it's funny. To the point where – I, you know, I remember thinking that Americans also put onions in their hamburger. Like, I just didn't, 
I just thought all anytime there was ground beef, there was onions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't know that there was a world in which ground beef existed outside of onions. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, right. and then until I was like in middle school or something, and I was like, oh wait a second, there's no onions in these hamburgers. What's been going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's I mean, it's unheard of, I think, for Iranians to deal with a ground beef without onions. And the the other thing is for it to cook properly, though, it needs to be cooked basically well done because the onions need to cook through and through. So you rarely get Persian kebab yeah. that is cooked like, you know, medium rare or anything. Right. Is which that is even always... a question when you go to like a Persian restaurant? No. Yeah, it's, it's never, not, I, right? It's never a question. No, it's not. <laughs> but it creates awkwardness when you go to a steakhouse with your parents and they're like, can you take the ribeye and butterfly it and make it well done, please? <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh no they just yeah, bring no, their own I, like i remember my parents being like deeply confused by any suggestion that something be rare or whatever yeah yeah definitely and it, it and it and i think what's interesting too about my parents and their food taste is that it doesn't it hasn't changed you know, they haven't mm. like they've embraced some. There's some more things like my mom will do a nice stir fry or something. She'll she'll branch out and make some other things. But yeah. ultimately, even if we want to go out to dinner, they would still just rather go to a Persian restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not like trying to do Ethiopian cuisine or, you know, <laughs> they're just like, let's just eat Iranian. It's the best, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think they grew up with this kind of Iranian exceptionalism thing of like, you know, we were the first empire to have this Cyrus cylinder right, yeah, and yeah. we gave rights of man to people. And I feel like they they have this pride with their food, which they kind of should. Like, I get it. Yeah. But it's like the other thing is like anytime they taste any other food from like another immigrant culture, it's usually a culture that at one point or another they like uh, took over like the Persian Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, They'll be like, oh, you like Indian food? You know where they got that from? <laughs> well, once you like go and, and this is a, I challenge your listeners to like go to an Iranian restaurant, a Persian restaurant and um, and, and just like, you know, tr try a few different things. And then you'll be like, oh, I can see how this is also an Indian cuisine. Oh, I've seen this in Afghan. You know, if you've been to like an Afghan restaurant, um, you'll yeah. definitely, you know, it's, it's a more obvious connection, but you'll definitely see the similarities. Um, but also you'll, you know, there's versions of like Arabic things. Like there's a, we have a version of a baba ganoush. You know, it's not like the baba ganoush, you know, but it's like our own style. There's, yeah. um, there's version. Kashke Badenjun, which actually also uses that way on top of it. And it's so funny because the way, just saying way in English makes it just sound not delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I want to emphasize the level of delicious that it becomes in this, in, in Persian cuisine. It's really delicious. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like a savory, heavy cream. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like when you talk about M MSG with, like, you know, Chinese food or whatever, um, yeah. it got a bad reputation, <laughs> you know? And I yeah. think Wei has that reputation for reasons that have nothing, like, that, uh, uh, that have nothing to do with actually the way it was used historically in cuisine. Well, yeah. And when you think Wei, you think, like, GNC stores selling those huge, enormous jars of, like, whey protein right exactly <laughs> like to bulk up <laughs> exactly exactly yeah no it's very different um 
But yeah, I do agree with you. I think it's uh, it's funny to me how whenever a country like takes over another country in war mm. and awfulness, like the one thing, like even the conquered people will be like, yes, they killed my family. They took my wife away from me. But man, this idea of the turmeric and the stews, I'm going to keep that. Well, it's like, it's like, the, it's like the banh mi sandwiches of Vietnam, right? Like right. they're completely French-inspired. Um, they're, they're, rather, they're like a total fusion of, of yes. the French and the Vietnamese. And it's so delicious. I mean, what a fantastic fusion. You know oh, I mean? yeah. That um, one is really, that one is like, I mean, there's there's no masking the fusion there. It's literally like pate on a baguette. Right. With like lemongrass and like. Yeah. Like- and carrots. <laughs> like it's just so fusion. Um, and it's, and it's, and I think what's interesting about that one is that I, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm. I'm right here, but it must be relatively recent, right? Because I think it came out of the Vietnam War that the French were originally the main guys. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But it's definitely like, like the other things are more subtle, like the way Persian influences in Turkish food. But that seems like a French guy and a Vietnamese guy got stoned out of their minds. (laughs) 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 Just went through their kitchens together. (laughs) No, exactly. Totally, totally. Well, and I can see how that just... Speaking of like a two two roommates kind of getting stoned and going through their kitchen, um, I lived with uh, I had a French roommate for a long time. I lived in Paris for a long Name time. Dropper. It's not a big deal, Dan. You don't need to be jealous of my worldliness. <laughs> hey, but, you've got organic ketchup that comes with the territory. <laughs> um, but I but I lived in Paris for a while, so I had these French roommates, and then I um, I moved to New York City, and um, and then and I got a, and I ended up with another French roommate, two French roommates in New York, and. In, so I've lived with a lot of French people, and they the one quality that they all have consistently is that they can just whip things up out of whatever is in the home. Um, yeah. So there was never like a big shopping trip to figure it out. And sometimes it would just be something really simple. Like I remember one night, like me and a friend of mine were sort of my, – my roommate were really drunk, and we wanted something sweet or whatever, like a dessert, but we didn't have anything. So she just like – sauteed some apples with like butter and cinnamon and it was simple and it was just something you know I had never done and it was um it was just very it was just very delicious and like and and she just was like yeah I'll just whip something up you know and so somehow I think that's um I can totally see that happening where and she would just take things and be like oh I wonder um you know I what I wonder what this does and I remember she she ended up just randomly throwing saffron on something just because I had it in the home you know yeah yeah oof I I gotta say my prediction for the next uh Persian food that becomes wild like turmeric turmeric was our first First one that kind of caught yeah, on. Yeah. I think sumac is the next one to catch on. Oh, my God. Can you explain sumac to them? Yes. So sumac. Which uh, is not pronounced that way. No, it's called somar. 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 <laughs> it's basically every Persian household will have uh, salt, pepper, and, and sumac yeah. on the table. It's like a, a third condiment. And it's basically, it's different from poison sumac, by the way. Poison sumac is a thing. I didn't even uh, know poison sumac was a thing. Poison sumac is a berry. So sumac is a berry that is, uh, that is basically dried up and then turned into powder. And it's very citrusy. And we put it on everything. It's like we put very it, tart. Yes, it's very tart, citrusy. We put it on grilled meats. We put it on fish. Yeah. We put, it's, Rice. it's so good. It's such 
a great, yeah, great little topper to anything. And I and I, I have a feeling that one's gonna that one's gonna jump, jump over. the species. Yeah, that's I think interesting. So. I wonder, like, I also want to say there was that era where everyone is drinking palm juice, pomegranate yes. juice from that brand, Palm. Yeah. And it's interesting because they put a lot of sugar in it in a way that I was like, oh, sirs, this doesn't really need sugar. Like it's, yeah. you know, when you get a nice pomegranate juice from like the Persian store, you see the residue of pomegranate on the bottom of the bottle. It's just like very, um, you know, natural. But uh, I think that in it, and people did drink palm. Um, and, and they drank, you know, I think the, the big thing about it was the antioxidants. So I think pomegranate in general is like, been around for a good decade uh, as a thing that Americans will now have more of than they used right. to. Because um, pomegranate, again, huge uh, in Iran. Um, I I wonder if sumac, sumac, it's so weird. I actually, when I first saw the spelling sumac, I just didn't know what it was. I was right. like, what is that? What's that? I don't know what that is. And then the, my parents were like, that's sumac. And I was like, oh, I see. Um, but I th- it's like, it's an intense flavor. <laughs> I love it. It is. Right? I'm just trying to think of like, you know, my college roommate, Jennifer, like putting sumac on stuff. Like I just kind of can't picture it. It's almost Look, like it's too strong. Once they find out that it has some sort of anti-inflammatory properties, right, right. they're going to put it on everything. <laughs> Your lemonade's going to have sumac in it. <laughs> <laughs> it, I And I also wonder how they'll sort of change the sumac. You know, there's going to be some sort of a change to it. Oh, yeah. To bring it to, you know, popularize yeah. it among They're the Americans. Like, you you, you got to have your uh, sumac iced coffee. It's delicious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so weird. I can see a juice. I can see a juice, some sort of a sumac yeah, like a, turmeric. Oh, yeah, it would be in a smoothie first. Yeah, it would yeah, be in a yeah. smoothie. Yeah. It would be a date, banana date <gasps> sumac smoothie. That actually sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make that? I think we should yeah. be making that. It would be called Cyrus the Great at the <laughs> smoothie shop. Can I have a Cyrus the Great? Can I have a small Cyrus the Great, please? <laughs> That's awesome. With some whey in it. <laughs> some whey protein. Okay, so I'm going to get to these, uh, my little questions that yeah. I have, um, which, uh, you know, I never know if I should have a name for this question area, this portion of the show. Cause I, the it's question not area. It's not the question. <laughs> it's time for the question <laughs> area. But I like to ask all my guests these questions. And I'm very curious about what a lot of these are for you because I have a feeling that, that they might be the same that, uh, that they are for me. Hmm. What is your earliest food memory? I wrote a solo show like in the very beginning of my career called bootleg Islam. And, um, and you know, it was, uh, me, it was actually the first time, you know, I'd been doing comedy, but it's the first time I sort of like really talked about being Iranian and what that meant. And I had gone to Iran and blah, blah, blah. And I think my earliest food memory is Badam John, which Badam John beca- became a kind of, um, um, trope throughout the show. It was like a, it was like a character. It represented a character arc in the right. show. Um, <laughs> as our bottom John means eggplant. Um, and my parents they just fucking love a bottom John. Um, yeah, and they eat a lot of. Egg, we just ate a lot of eggplant, and I just I think you know when I was a kid I just hated it. Um, and and so uh, it represented like. You know, whenever the once a week we were going to eat eggplant, I was just like, oh, you know, God. Um, 
and uh, and then and then of course I grew to love it later in life. Yeah. Again, when I was like more embracing my um, Iranianness and and like less embarrassed about it, um, I kind of realized there was so much Persian food that I actually loved. And so yeah, I would say um, it's it's eggplant, badamjan. Interesting. Yeah, I love eggplants, and I don't know that I always loved it. It is kind of a an adult flavor, you know. Yeah. You don't see any kids being like. There's no eggplant on the kids menu. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a little bit like pickles or whatever, where you sort of like grow into it, maybe. Yeah, it's like Brussels sprouts and. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that Persian eggplant, kashka badanjun, which is our baba ganoush, basically makes mincemeat out of any other baba ganoush. I think it's so much better. Yeah, it's very good. Because we do, again, you know why? Because it's got your mom's secret sauce in it. It's got caramelized onions and turmeric. That's the only difference. A lot of that. Yeah. And I think the other thing with the caramelized onions is that it's almost like burnt. How would you Mm -hmm. describe that? Like a little almost burnt? It is. It is. It is as close as you can get to burnt without going over the edge. Yeah, which sounds again, which just describing these things in English makes it just sound like awful. But it, it's so delicious. It's so. Yeah. It's actually well, it gives so a smokiness delicious. to it. that kind of char from the from the onions has like a little smokiness. Oh to it. Oh my god, is, it's fantastic! Yeah, and then the toppings. We never even. T- one of our toppings for for kashka badanjun and also for us for the soups is fried mint. Yeah. Which is so wild so and so good. Great. I know. Who thought about who like figured that out? It's I like the know. most bizarre. I always think about that with especially with these like ancient cuisines that like who was the guy that was like, let's throw this on a skillet over there and see what happens. You know what I mean? They're like, Jamshid, you're so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> uh, what is your death row meal? Oh, so you go tough. to the farmer's market. Yeah. They don't have your bougie kimchi. You lose your shit. Three people die. Yeah. <laughs> You're on death row. Yeah. <laughs> what um, is your last meal? Well, I think I would want it's. You keep talking about cash. It makes me really want that to be part of my death row meal. It's like a nice appetizer. So that yeah. I, if the death row meal can have courses, I think that would oh, be yeah. a course. It would be cash. Get bottom done. Um. And uh, it's a very progressive prison. Thomas Keller is the chef. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you're at the French Laundry before, you know. Um, I had this salmon dish when I was um, in uh, doing study abroad. I lived in, I did a, um, a study abroad in Paris. And then later on, I, wait, I waited tables in Paris. I taught English in Paris, whatever. So I was around a lot of like food in France. And they mm. took us to a farm and they made this. It was like a salmon with butter sauce. The funny thing is, I don't even love salmon. Don't love it. But this one dish, I would like this one dish from this one French farm um, that was like salmon with butter sauce, butter lemon, lemon butter sauce, something. Um, That would be one of my like mains. Um, And then I I do think I would want something like a good old fashioned, like American like grilled cheese sandwich. Ooh. But like a delicious, like a fancy grilled cheese sandwich. I like a fancy grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, me too. Um, Those are actually much better than the yes. garbage grilled cheese sandwiches. They are. <laughs> but you 100%. know what I think is hard to replicate in, ter- in in terms of fanciness is like a sheet cake. Like you, if you want to mm. just a fucking birthday cake with like chocolate frosting on it, 
Duncan Hines like will kind of do one of the best jobs. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. you know? Basic cheesecake is uh, not cheesecake. Uh, sheet cake is very. It's very very. I, it, it might be better. The 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 Ralph's uh, yeah supermarket brand Just might be better. But I would say for my by death row meal, the the dessert would probably actually be like a, like an extremely expensive. Like an eleven Madison Park creation. Not that I've ever yeah. been there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like naming the most expensive restaurant in America. Um, but uh, but something some some just phenomenal chocolate caramel, uh, the fanciest creation. What is what? Actually, speaking of EMP, as we call it in the biz, Wait, eleven what's Madison EMP? Park. Eleven Madison Park. Uh- <laughs> Nobody calls it that. Okay, guys, continue. <laughs> what is the best high-end meal you've ever had? Um, oh God. I There's actually a, a restaurant um, down here. It's called The White Restaurant. It's in Tribeca. And um, I went – I was invited. Wait, white, like the street, like W-H-Y-T-H-E? No, just W-H-I-T-E. I think it's – Oh, white. Okay, yeah, got Yeah, and I think it's – like maybe on White Street or something. I don't. I don't totally remember, but it's in Tribeca, and um, I, and and this, you know, this 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 dude who was like bringing together some of his friends. It was like I was invited. I honestly couldn't afford this place at the time, um, and we just had the most. I mean, it, he's a, a wine connoisseur and has an insane wine collection, and I'm not a wine. I mean, I honestly don't drink, um, but like I'll have wine once a year or something and right. um for no i may you know and i don't have any i just get headaches so i just it doesn't work for me but like i uh but the, you know he brought from his own collection um and he's an investor in this restaurant so like it was just phenomenal and he paired each wine each course with wine you know as they do in those fl- fancy places and i don't you know it was like simple things we had um but they, it was just done so well. And I can't even remember what we ate. I just remember leaving and thinking that was like one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Yeah. I. But I was also, oh. I also want to point out, you know, I was there with like <laughs> the Surgeon General of the Obama administration. Um, wow. And, you know, founders of certain technology. I mean, it was like a, a ridiculous group of people. And then he loves comedians, this guy. <laughs> and so he would sometimes invite me to these things. So it would always be like people with an extremely high net worth and then a comedian for color. <laughs> and there, I, I mean, it was great. There were rules for the conversation because everyone had to be involved in one conversation the entire time. You know, you couldn't break <laughs> off and have like separate. Co- it was, you know, the experience was also fantastic. It was just, you know, phenomenal. And each each glass of wine was color coded, like with little dots, so that you he could be like, "No, we're talking about the blue dot wine." You know, wow. And this is what oh, it's man. about. It was like, and I chose this because this is the year that so so founded their company like it would and each you know each bottle had a story it was amazing wow i mean i it's very bougie the most bougie meal you've ever had is at a place called white i know i I know i know especially for a brown person you made it with oh completely and i and and it's always funny to me because though because everyone who i was with was having the meal as if 
they have those kinds of meals all the time. And I was like sweating. This is also some years ago. I was sweating and trying to act normal. Like I go to these, like I know the difference between all the multiple forks and you know what I mean? Like I just, you know, I just hadn't um, had those kinds of, many of those experiences at that point. And I still have, I mean, I still have, and it's still very, very special to go to a restaurant like that. Um, I've been in many positions like that though, where, like I have a couple of groups of friends where I definitely I get invited to these kind of bougie dinners, and it's definitely just because they need a court jester. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a hedge fund guy, yes! and then like a you know Gary Kasparov and yes! like a New York Times op-ed writer, and then like me. I'm like, right. hey guys, <laughs> completely. That's exactly what it was. And 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 I'll tell you one of the ways that we opened the conversation was we had to go around and everyone had to say something or ask a question of the group or something like that. And the one, this one woman, again, these are just very wealthy people. She was like, it's, you know, it's going to be me and my husband's fifth wedding anniversary coming up. Lovely ladies are all, then they're all lovely. I mean, it's like, I'm jealous of their, that level of wealth, but I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I don't think they should die. You know, I have issues with income inequality. Let that all be noted. Okay. Uh, I'm a good progressive. Don't worry. Okay. We'll, we'll cut that part out. We'll just leave. <laughs> I want to be as rich as these women. No, no. And I, it's, I, I want all, I want everyone in America to be as rich as this woman. Um, and she was like, so her question to the crowd was, you know, we have to go on a wedding and we're going, we want to go somewhere for our wedding anniversary. Um, but we've been to so many places. We don't know where to go that we haven't oh. already been. And I white, was like, I was going to say white people problems, but that's a white restaurant problem, right? That's there. it, yeah. <laughs> white restaurant problem. And it was, um, it was like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, that issue. You know what I mean? And I was just like, uh, guys, you know what I mean? I cannot believe it. And then so people started earnestly just tossing out Galapagos Islands, and she's like, we did that. Like every just you know safari in Namibia. Oh, we did that last year. You know, it was like every random thing you could possibly think of they had done. I had just gotten back from Cuba. Um, this was like right after Obama opened things opened up with Cuba. Up. And I was like, oh shit, we better go before, before we overdevelop and it looks ugly. So right. um, I immediately went in and it was like, actually, it was like one of these just fantastic experiences that was also really cheap and, um, and it was great. And I, and so I just threw out Cuba and she's like, oh, we've never been to Cuba. And I was like, oh, like I stumped the woman that had been everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Did she end up going or she just wanted to humor the uh, court jester? I mean, no. I'm going to be honest with you, Dan. We didn't keep in touch. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lovely lady. What though. is the best low-end meal you've ever had? Um, is it I that was, Carl's it, Jr.? You seem to light up when you mention that Carl's oh. Jr. burger. That Carl's, you can only have it like once a year because you feel the grease in your mouth, but it's fantastic. But I will, I, I'm going to mention, um, there's a place in Oklahoma City, and I really wish, I, the name is escaping me, but it's sort of like a twice fried chicken stand uh, tr- truck. Um, and it's like, it's in Oklahoma City. If you're in Oklahoma City, everyone knows what this place is. It's really popular. There's a long line, um, especially like on weekends. Um, and they basically fry a chicken and then they dip the chicken in honey and then they like fry it again or something. I mean, it's something. It's just this crazy. And it is hands down. It's like the best um, fried chicken I've ever had in my life. Do you have a? Well, you're not a drinker, really. So I don't know. If favorite drunk food is a thing for you. 
Oh, like food when I'm, you know, from what my drinking days, because I used to be a nice heavy drinker, Um, you know, not heavy, but just like I did my, I did my rounds and, um, and I think I always just, I went to, to pizza. Yeah. As a, you know, you live in New York, it's just, it's there and it's, it's really fulfilling and it's satisfying and it's just, it's extra cheese. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like a drunk pizza. No, it's fantastic. What about hangover food? Did you ever have one of those? Oh God, yeah. Um, I, you know, I loved. Again, I would kind of fall back on the carbs, so it was like like a nice bagel. Um, if you're in New York City, you should definitely have the bagels at Tompkins Square Bagel. They're fantastic, um, and they have this. You know, sometimes if I was being e- extremely crazy, I would get two bagels, which is like. M- Bodybuilders have a hard time eating two bagels, but I would have like half of each. One would be sweet and the other one would be savory because they have a French toast bagel, which I still salivate about. A French toast bagel, and I would get it with like walnut raisin cream cheese. So it would be like a sweet and a sweet. And it's really this French toast bagel is is just a is is just something for the history books. Um, and then Wait, I would. So what would you do with the other halves, then, though? Well, I, you know, I would try and pawn it off to like a roommate or you know, <laughs> like a boyfriend or whatever, and right. um, and then and then I would get a, a savory one that would be like an everything bagel with like a veggie cream cheese. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of bagel and cream cheese. The New Yorkers, that's that seems to be their go-to hangover food. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's just sort of perfect. And also, I I would also say biscuit. In that genre. Biscuit? Biscuit. Like, yeah, like a nice biscuit. Like a southern type biscuit? Oh, yeah, yeah, like a southern biscuit with a goo, like an oozing, like butter and jam and you just, uh, like, yes. Ah, it's a shame you don't drink anymore because you seem (laughs) like you're a professional hangover foodie. (laughs) I had some great hangover meals, I'm not going to lie. Do you have a favorite celebrity chef? Now, this can be any food personality, um, even a... Instagram influencer whose food you enjoy looking at. Oh, I'm going to be really boring and just give you like the good Samaritan answer. But also, I do think he's the most exciting, a really exciting chef is Chef Jose Andres because he does, you know, he's got the one, uh, what's it called? One World Kitchen? Wait, I always mess. Yes, I I believe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so he's, you know, and and he, you know, he feeds people, um, during, uh, disaster, um, disasters. He's doing it now during the coronavirus. He's trying to get so free crazy. meals to people who need them. Um, it's a really, it's a global organization. They're everywhere where there is a disaster that they, they turn up. He's got, you know, he's working with restaurants that are being underutilized now during coronavirus to get people food. And so I think, I mean, I think what I love is that you can be a, a guy that really cares about food and what it tastes like and how good it is and all of that stuff and be innovative and all of that shit that you want out of a chef, right? But that you can be like, oh, there there has to be like a social dimension to my work and this is it. This is it. I, it, it just seems so amazing what he does where I'm like, he must, there, he's, he must be hiding something. Like he must be, there must be murder going on in the background. Right. It just seems too good. <laughs> Yes, and I um I have to, to just be like I'm one of the best chefs in the world, and now I'm going to put that to the side to go to wherever there's a disaster and feed everyone. Like there's a lot of dead people that he's his conscience is making up for. <laughs> <laughs> what have you 
you done, Jose? Yes. Um, I well, I want to say like I actually so. Uh, oh, sorry. I think it's called World Central Kitchen. World Central okay. Kitchen. Um, and um, I um. I met him because he was, I was doing an episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and he was the guest, and he, you know, and I, you know, celebrities, they come on the show, they tend to just come and do their little spot and then leave. They don't really, like, hang out with the panelists or the host or whatever. But Jose Andres, he came, he hung out. Like, he was just in the green room with us chatting and chatting. He was so fun. Um, And then he does the interview. The audience is just eating him up. Like, he's so fucking funny like I cannot yeah. tell you this guy is a showman um, very funny and then after the show he just hung out like he hung out he took pictures with all of us it wasn't annoying or anything and you know this is a guy this is one of the most famous chefs um, and he viewed it as like no the the more well known I am the more people will contribute to uh, to the world kitchen and um, and that's You're just his good. passion and he yeah he's he's, he's he's as good as you think he is he's a really nice guy the crazy thing is I've been to many of his restaurants and his food is phenomenal. And like, I haven't been to very many of his restaurants. And it's funny because it's like it's constantly on my uh, – I think with the baby, everything with the restaurant, me and restaurants has has gone to brunch. Uh, yeah. It's been, it's been the – you know, because the nighttime is tough to get the sitter and all that stuff. But, but so they're delicious restaurants? Oh, my God. I mean, he's got his – he started his empire in D.C., and his restaurant, Zaytania, was like the first restaurant that brought like Middle Eastern kind of Greek, Turkish flavors to like, like, like he elevated them. And it was like, it was a, it was an epiphany. This is before there was like hip Middle Eastern food. Ugh, and he's not even Middle Eastern. I mean, he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> what is your desert island food? So you're trapped on a desert island. You have one food you have to eat forever and you're never going to get tired of it. You know, I think it would like can I like can I just name a cuisine, like a type of cuisine? Sure. I think it would just be sort of like a vague Mediterranean, like you know, which sort of has an Iranian vibe to it as well, like um like I look at Greek food and feel a lot of similarities, you know, for obvious yeah. also historical reasons. Um it just feels healthy there's like cheese when you need it but not too much there's right. you know there's tons of vegetables um there, but there's also a lot of meats um everything is it's kind of like they're whole foods uh so there's not very much that's processed um yeah. i think alt yeah I, I i think that's what i would go with that's a great one i'm with you i i feel like that's kind of my comfort food like if i'm feeling sick or whatever i want like some, you know, bring me my bread and hummus and, yeah. you know, uh, baba ganoush and I'm good to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. A no, and I, I'll, I'll take like a, a nice fried halloumi and olives and, you know, a Greek. So these aren't comfortable, but they're, they're, they're so good for you on the daily and they'll never like make you feel bad, you know, like I oh, can't eat foods. That make me like bagels. You know, I love a bagel, but I can only have it like once every three months. Like they, they just like you don't need just, it on a they make me feel bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there a food that you can't stand eating? Yeah, I was watching again on one of these. We we just did like a chef's table, uh, inappropriate Binge. parenting. Like it was like parenting while watching chef's table in the background, kind of like <laughs> stuff you shouldn't do. But it's like coronavirus, so we're doing it. Um, and uh, in the they were cooking liver, and I was like, 
I respect very much whatever the chef is doing, but I would never eat that. <laughs> I really? can't. I can't do a liver. I can't. It just grosses <laughs> me out. Don't like the flavor. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. I've tried. I've been to so many like friends of mine who do like Shabbat dinners or um, the like liver might make like a, an appearance on like a Passover, which I've done actually so many like Passovers, um, Passover yeah. seders. And, uh, and I am like, I can't, I, that's the one, that's the one I can't do. And I feel like I can eat a lot of things. Like I'll eat beef tongue or whatever. I don't, I'm, yeah. I can eat a lot of, I don't have, I'm not gross. I'm not grossed out by that. Uh, but liver. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you just from hearing you right there. And then mm. I think I know what your issue is. What is my issue? Your entrance into liver is through Ashkenazi Jews who are the worst. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very anti-Semitic when it comes to to Ashkenazi uh, food, but <laughs> they are they, they don't know they don't know how to make their food. As bless a, their hearts. Some of my best friends are Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah, some of my best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yada yada. Some some of my best friends, but they don't know shit about food. So you need you need a better. I would say I, I think Middle Eastern like Mediterranean uh, liver uh, can be pretty delicious. Yeah, you know, but my mom, it's something it also, hard. I think my mom never really liked it either, so she just never cooked it. It was just never in my household. So when I ate it for the first time, it was so like a shock to the system. Yeah. And it was, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in this kind of like Ashkenazi Jewish, like I'm <laughs> invited over to someone's home, like scenario. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, uh, I, I wasn't, I was given the, the raw end of the liver stick. Man, all these, all these Jews pushing their liver agenda <laughs> on us. Um, do you, they do really you have- should jazz it up. They really should. Jazz. I just want to, just if anyone's listening, let's <laughs> elevate I your liver say, dish. I will say this. There are a lot of chefs now that are doing hipster Ashkenazi kind of Jewish food, mm-hmm. which are actually really, really cool and interesting. But as far as like Ashkenazi grandmother food, like no, no bueno. <laughs> Um, what is, this is probably my, my favorite question. Uh, what is your restaurant pet peeve? Ooh, what do you mean? Like, do you have a pet peeve in a restaurant? Like maybe it's a a one that's come up a bunch is like waiters who don't write down your rest, your order when you're giving it or, you know, lighting being too bright or music being too loud. Oh yeah. A a wobbly chair. Right. I, I, okay. So like I, like I said, because I have this baby, like for me, going out, I'm, I try and go out to 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 restaurants with friends, like not necessarily my husband, right. <laughs> even though I love him. Like we went, actually, I, the last fantastic meal we had was um was um before coronavirus was with him, and we were just lamenting about how wonderful that was, and um and. Uh, and it's funny because it was like a prefix meal and foie gras was on the menu and like it mm. kind of came with the thing. And we're not like foie gras people, but we were just like right. – and it's like banned now in New York. So it was like the last week or something before it was banned. <laughs> so we were like, well, if we're going to do it, like it's on the pre, it's on the prefix. Like we just – let's just do it, you know. And I was like, oh, foie gras. Like I, this may be the second time I've ever had it. Um, and I, I don't get it. I just I'm, – I'm fine. You know, again, it doesn't gross me out or whatever. I just don't Well, you're see. an anti-liver person, so, I mean, that's right. a liver. Exactly, exactly. You're all I across the board I continue to not livers. get it. I mean, I ate it, but I was just like, no, thank you. Um, 
But um, I my pet peeve. So I so conversation is really important. That was my point. Conversation is really important with me and other adults. And so I do I don't love it when the music is too loud. It yeah. uh, that is one thing that I I can't handle. But I think in general, like you know, I was a waiter for you know here and there, um, as many comedians were, and um, I and and so I've I've almost I'm almost like ridiculously. You have a, a you have a understanding of a warehouse of second chances for every server, you know, like it does. <laughs> they can do no. I'll still tip them a bunch. Like it doesn't matter, you know, because I was like, I've been there, I've been there. Whatever you're going through, I know you're having a bad day. It's okay, I've been there, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's I I think I hate to say this about my. I don't mean to compliment myself, but I'm just going to say make one compliment about myself, which is that I think I'm a good customer. <laughs> I'm easily pleased. I don't really complain. Like, you know, just keep the music down so I can chat. Um, wow. And then that's it. Well, I was I would say I was agreeing with you on this whole podcast up until that question. But okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> I am there for feedback. That waiter needs to get better after he or she is done with me. <laughs> Oh my god. No, and I can see that too. I mean, especially for someone like you who really like thinks about this stuff and and goes to a lot of restaurants and really like is analyzing the experience in that way. I've also never been a waiter, so that empathy gene for me <laughs> lacking, severely lacking. And our last question, which I believe is something that you answered already, weirdly enough, was what is the first restaurant you will go to after quarantine? Yeah. Uh, you said it kind of jokingly about the one in Savannah, but it, is there a more serious one that's kind of local in New York that you're like, I need, I miss it. I need to go there. Oh, you know what? And maybe you've been to this restaurant. There's a restaurant on First Avenue and First in New York City, it's called Lucien. The Nexus of the Universe. Nexus of the Universe. There's a <laughs> there's a bar there that you probably performed at. <laughs> one in one. Did you ever yeah, do a yeah. show at one in one? Uh, um, but um, right at the Nexus of the Universe, uh, there's a restaurant called Lucien. It's a French restaurant. And, you know, I just, a couple times a year, we go there. You, ha- you get the filet mignon with the pepper sauce. And mm. it's... Their steakhouses are plenty in this city, and fantastic steakhouses. But this particular filet mignon from this particular French restaurant, you know, prepared in this particular way, is one of the most delicious things. And it's one of these very not coronavirus-friendly restaurants, right? It's like small, packed in, but that's what's also so charming about it. You just and you feel like you're in Paris. Like you go to this restaurant, there's always French people because. They just, the French people know where to, to have good French food. Um, and I think uh, I've been there. I think they had, they had like hard boiled eggs at the bar, like as a yeah, bar snack, had, yeah. a very French thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, oh God, I love it there. And, um, and so that would, that'll be, that'll probably be my first visit. Oh, that's a very good one. Well, I, I hope, I hope that you can get there sooner rather than later. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Uh, tell people where they can find you. Yes, um, you can find me on Twitter at Nagin Farsad, uh, a name that is easy to pronounce and spell, uh, N-E-G-I-N-F-A-R-S-A-D. Um, and uh, you can, if you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, same thing, Facebook, whatever, all under my name. And then uh, also subscribe to my podcast, Fake the Nation. Um, and also just um, for listeners, I don't know when this is coming out, but we're, my my most recent film was called Third Street Blackout. It's a romantic comedy set in the Blackout 
out after Hurricane Sandy. Um, and uh, it's got some really fabulous people in it, like Janine Graffalo and John Hodgman um, and Ed Weeks and myself. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the I least of the fabulous. And um, and uh, it's fun. It's funny. It pairs well with a quarantine. And we set it to stream for free during the quarant- during these lockdowns. Um, so it's a, it's a pandemic freebie. Uh, you can get it at thirdstreetblackout.com slash stream. And that's 3RDST blackout dot com slash stream so check that out for free and if you want to tip the filmmakers the proceeds are going to go to the actors fund to help out um actors who have been super working actors that have been super hard hit by uh by coronavirus oh that's so nice that that is jose andres level nice so i'm curious (laughs) what you're covering up (laughs) who did you kill nagin uh thank you so much nagin great talking thank you dan this was so fantastic thank you This episode of Green Eggs and Dan was produced by Andrew Stephen. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music is Beautiful Food by Idan. And interstitial music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podglomerate, a sonic universe.